Hey, you're listening to the Creative Pep Talk Podcast. This show exists to help you build a thriving creative career. I'm your host, Andy J. Pizza. You can stay up to date with all things Creative Pep Talk by following me on Instagram at Andy J. Pizza. Let's jump into this episode, shall we? really needed to rehaul my website. I was talking to some web people, looking around, and I got intrigued by Squarespace's new fluid engine, partially because it just sounds cool, but also because it allows you to drag and resize and layer up anything you can imagine. I dove in, rebuilt my site. It's the most me site that I've ever had. I just absolutely love it. Launched it. Got such a great response. Some industry illustration and designy peers even reached out and was like, hey, who coded this thing, man? I'm like, y'all, I did it by myself. No coding with Squarespace's new Fluid Engine. I told him like, you should go check it out. You're gonna be surprised with what you can do. And I built this thing before Squarespace reached out to sponsor the show. So I was like, boom, easy peasy. I was gonna tell you about this new site anyway. Go check it out, anyjpizza.com if you wanna see what I did with it. If you want to try it yourself, make a site that's totally you, where you can build a portfolio, sell content and courses and all kinds of other stuff, head to squarespace.com for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain with promo code PEPTALK, all one word, all uppercase. This episode is supported by In The Making, an original podcast brought to you by Adobe Express, the all-in-one content creation app included in your Creative Cloud membership. If you are trying to boost the YouTube, TikTok, Reels content side of what you're doing, one episode of In The Making that I think will be super useful to you is their episode with John Yushai. I think John's method for including his audience in the process is really inspiring. And if you want to hear about that and more about leveling up your game in the creator economy, just search In The Making in your podcast player to listen. Many thanks to In The Making and Adobe Express for their support. friends. I'm in my hotel room, Las Vegas hotel room. Uh, I can't tell you what I'm doing here because sometimes your drawings have to be secret. That's what I've learned as a professional illustrator. There's been a handful of times where I got to sign papers that say, I'll never talk about these drawings, I promise. So I can't tell you what I'm doing here, but it is for work. I never really would have chose to go to Vegas on my own uh, initiative. It's not really my jam, but we did go to Old Vegas last night, and that was kind of cool. Lots of lights and stuff going on. Um, ate some bread. <laughs> and uh, anyway, um, that's that's what's up. So, when I do interviews, I'm always, you know, I get to interview people that are thriving creatives they're doing their creative career on a high level and usually you know I'm, th- I'm over the years I've been creating metrics for or metrics might not be the word but it's kind of like a some kind of matrix of some sort to figure out who are the type of people that I really want to interview and 
you know, one of the things that is kind of a deal breaker for me is do they really seem to have a sense of their creative gift? Like, do they, are they aware of their gift and are commanding it and executing it consistently? And they have to just be somewhere on the journey of finding, uh, developing and shining this gift. But if they have, if they're really on that road in a significant way, that's one of the deal breakers. And what I've found is almost all these thriving creatives that I have on the show, if I ask them the question, what are you good at, AKA, what's your creative gift? They have tons and tons and tons of thoughts. And you know, I, you know what really makes me mad? And I'm just gonna get angry right now about it. I hate the fact that sometimes I have to feel self-conscious about asking somebody, what are you good at? Like, it, man, I feel like there is some dark magic afoot in the universe that causes us to, to do some kind of fake humility that says, don't think about what you're good at. Like, I think you're here on this planet to figure out what you're good at, get even better at it, be a master of it, and then be a blessing to the universe with what you have. And I think this, you know, sometimes when I ask the question of these people I'm interviewing, what are you good at? Sometimes I feel like, man, I know what they're gonna do. They're gonna have to be, because they're not monsters, they're gonna have to, you know, play this game of, well, I'm really not good at anything. <laughs> I don't really know. I'm kind of a nothing. And I'm like, no, I'm interviewing you because you're clearly amazing at some stuff. And I just want to hear what you think it is. And the thing that I found, though, is even though my guests are usually extremely polite and self-deprecating and, and lovely, that the truth is they've spent a lot of time and energy getting to know what they're great at. And they, they command it. They're good at it, they've defined it, they've refined it, they've shined it, all the rhyming. If it rhymes, you know it's true. Uh, but they own it. And a few months ago, we did an episode where I was talking about, this is like one of my all-time favorite analogies, and it's about finding your creative gift or finding your creative superpower. And it's this idea that the difference between super good farmer Clark Kent, high school, you know, like in high school, Clark Kent works on the Kent farm. He's a really good farmhand. And the difference between that and superhuman universe saver Clark Kent, or Clark Superman, uh, come on, guys, let me take that again, all right? Here's what I'm saying. The difference between super good farmer Clark Kent and superhuman, superhuman universe saver, Superman, the difference between those two people is not superpowers. They both have superpowers. The difference is Superman knows what his superpowers are. And my question to you is, do you know? And actually, I think I have some a bunch of new thoughts on finding... Uh, your gift, developing it, being a master of your creative superpower. And that's what this episode is about. But I think the further I dive in, the more I realize, man, I've got a whole book in me about finding your creative superpower and, and, uh, and all that good jazz. And I've also realized that, 
you know, probably a third of this podcast is about your gifts, about your creative superpower. And so, and because I think it is the deal breaker in whether you're going to survive, barely survive, not survive, or thrive as a creative person. If you want to be like those people that I interview that are crushing it, that are, that are, uh, you know, on this journey, I think it starts with being extremely dedicated to the pursuit of understanding your gifts, knowing what they are, mastering them, and then executing them over and over again. I think it's kind of the difference between the creative dreamer and the creative lucid dreamer. You know, do you know about lucid dreaming? I'm guessing you do. It's this idea that when you're lucid dreaming, you know that you're in a dream and therefore you're basically in a fantasy world where you can do whatever you want. And I think that most creative people, they fly sometimes in their dreams. Like they, sometimes the inspiration hits them. They're working and they're gifting, but it's all completely accident. Just like having a dream where you fly. It's exhilarating. It's great. It's exciting. But because you really don't know that you're dreaming, you don't know what's going on, you can't really make that thing happen. But then you'll hear about these people that, you know, I heard about this. I can't remember the podcast, but it was this person who had trained themselves to lucid dream and they could lucid dream every night. And actually, before you start saying, yeah, I'm sure, whatever, this person was actually studied by real scientists who have waves of, ways of seeing the waves in your brain, your brain waves, and they can tell when someone's lucid dreaming. And this person is proven to be lucid dreaming every night. And she says she could do, she's done everything you could imagine. She's taken dreams where she's like, you know what? Tonight I'm going to fly into the sun and see what that feels like. And uh, I'm so fascinated by that, guys. I love lucid dreaming. I've been, you know, obsessed with that since I was uh, a teenager and I'm a crazy dreamer. But that's not what this episode's about. This episode is about how you go from being a regular creative dreamer that sometimes your work, you're soaring, you're working within your gifts, but it's all kind of completely accident. It's not something within your wheelhouse to control and go from that to being someone who can soar every time you're dreaming, soar every time you're you're making that work. And that's the difference between having kind of a vague intuitive sense of what you're good at to having a clear understanding and control so that every time, you know, for me personally, finding my gifts, this has been a game changer for me. You know, early in my career, I, I kind of had, I think there's imposter syndrome. There's, there's just, uh, you know, feeling like you're lucky, feeling like you're unlucky, feeling like everything's random, feeling like you're trying to trick people into believing that you're creative to figuring out, oh, these are the things I'm good at. I'm good at finding patterns in abstract, seemingly abstract information, you know, philosophical, big picture idea stuff. I'm good at coming up with analogies and I'm good at uh, coming up with concepts that, that rope in these vague kind of philosophical big picture stuff and making them concrete for people. I'm good at communicating that. I'm good at making people feel things. That's one of my things. But I have all this whole 
I feel like my gift is something that I've been connecting dots on for the past 10 years and it's something I can really hold and what it does is it means I can execute consistently. I can show up and be like, I know what I do. This is what I do. Boom. And hit a target, you know, nine out of 10 times. And, and it also gives me not just the ability to, to show up and, and do my thing over and over, which is how you build a business. It also gives you a calm and a confidence to say, you know what? I know what I do. I know what I'm, I know the target that I'm trying to hit. I know that I know how to hit it. And it's the difference between barely surviving and thriving. So today's episode, I want to just talk to you a little bit about a bunch of new ways of looking at finding and, and developing your creative superpower. And yeah, just a bunch of stuff I'm excited about. Let's do it. something that I've explored a little on the podcast, but I've had some new revelations (laughs) about it that I want to share with you. The first one, which I think is kind of the golden rule of the universe for ways that might be unexpected, is do unto others as you want done to you. Now, you probably heard that in school or Sunday school or something growing up, and I think we probably all heard it like... Don't you like it when somebody opens the door for you? That's my Sunday school teacher. You should then open doors for other people. And you're like, "Uh, wow, profound. No, I think that in this is a deeper truth about your purpose of being on this planet. Meaning, what do you like when people do for you. And I actually want to talk about in number two, I'm going to talk about, I'm going to go even deeper into this bad boy. But first, just talk about, (laughs) talk about do unto others as you want done to you. How do you, and I, I think about it like this, okay? An actor, you've heard actors say, what's my motivation in this scene? It's this idea that in a, in a story, a story only progresses if the character wants something. They have to have a motivation, a goal, a, a desire. That's what pushes the plot forward. And if you want to make art that's pushing forward, that's advancing, that's, that's not just you know static, something that people are just gonna ignore, you gotta have a motivation. And your motivation, I think, should be doing unto others as you like done unto you. And so once you have, once you figure out like, what do you like art to do to you? What do you like when art touches you in such a way that it moves you or it makes you laugh or it makes you feel something? I talked about this with Michael Beirut in the last episode where he talked about how You know, good design should be like good comedy where you really define the problem before you get started. Like, what am I trying to achieve with the work that I do? And this is why I think stand-up comedians are the masters of creativity is that they know they're going in for a laugh. And some of the new, I've talked about all that in the podcast before. That's all like old stuff, Andy. But one thing that I saw this 
week that I thought, ooh, yeah, baby, that's the friggin', that's right on the nail, was uh, Tim Goodman. I saw an Insta story of his where he was doing a talk, and a quote from his talk was basically to quit worrying about style and think about voice. So quit worrying about how your work looks and think about what you're trying to say. And in the same way that when you say to somebody, I love you, or you say to somebody, I hate you, there's a style to how you say that thing. You know, you've heard it before. It's not what you say, it's how you say it. But I think that that relationship between form and function is deeper than we care to admit or, or like to, or, or realize. And I think in, when you're a school student, a school student of creativity, a student in the school of creativity, it's so easy, especially with things like illustration that are so visual or filmmaking that's so visual. The first thing that we think about when we go to make this stuff is style. How does it look? But the truth is how it looks, the form of it needs to follow the function. And you got to start with the function. So you say, what do I want to say? What, what do I want to do? What do I want to achieve? And that will actually be the first key to unlocking your style. I was talking with somebody recently. Uh, you know, I love talking with people that are deeply familiar with the show because it helps me kind of figure out where my blind spots are. And in this conversation, this was the catalyst for this episode, I kind of felt like I hadn't been clear about what I've learned on finding my own creative superpowers, how important they are, and how to do it. And the reason this came up was this person was saying, you know, that they'd kind of pigeonholed themselves in this market that's this very specific style and, and, this very specific kind of, it was, you know, kind of a grown up, hard core, mean, kind of rough vibe. And the person was like, I'd also like to do kids books. And my answer to that was basically similar to what Tim Goodman was saying, which was find your voice, find your why before your what the medium and the style that stuff is determined by, uh, or, or can be, the, the what and the why can change up no matter who it's for, but it all should be anchored in a deeper motivation of why you're doing this. And so for me personally, I know that I'm always trying to draw invisible things. It's kind of like an oxymoron. You can't draw invisible things. But I feel like that's the purpose of illustration. It's the purpose of an analogy. A verbal illustration is to say, you know that thing that's kind of hard to, this new idea that's kind of vague, it's a philosophy, it's a, it's a theory, it's hard to latch onto. If I give you an illustration and draw that invisible thing, then you'll be able to interact with it. And once I started to dive into like, this is what I'm trying to do on this planet. This is my motivation for making art is elevating the invisible. It doesn't matter if I'm making a band poster for a very grown up band or making a kid's book about sound. Either way, I'm drawing invisible things. Now the invisible things change, but and, and, the, and how I go about saying the thing that I'm saying changes depending on what I'm saying. But starting with what's my motivation? 
What's my core why? That will, that will uh, unlock your gift more than anything. And when I was doing my reading on gifts, I came upon this quote from Ralph Waldo Emerson. It says, rings and jewels are not gifts, but apologies for gifts. The only gift is a portion of thyself. I should start saying thyself. Thou must bleed for me. Therefore, the poet brings his poem, the shepherd, his lamb, the farmer, the corn, the miner. What is this accent? A stone, the painter, his picture, the girl, a handkerchief of her own sewing. That's sexist, Emerson. But you came from a different time, so we'll let it go this time. But here's what I think is interesting if you didn't catch it. Rings and jewels are not gifts, but apologies for gifts. And we start thinking about the motivation of your creativity. Like, what are you trying to do for your audience? What are you trying to do unto others as you like done to you? Let me just warn you about two gifts that I think are bad gifts when it comes to creativity. That they're the rings and jewels. They're apologies for the real gifts of creativity. Now, listen, this is a judgment. There's exceptions to this rule. But I just think that there's a really big misconception. Misconception. So I'm going to get harsh for a minute just to prove a point. So maybe I don't feel this harshly about it really. But I just want to, I'm just getting angry about the fact that the world thinks that the gift of creativity is being impressive. I actually think being impressive with your creativity is like the dumbest gift. It's like buying a diamond. Wow, really impressive. That's not what a gift is supposed to be. A gift is supposed to say, we're humans, let's connect with each other. And I think if you're trying to be impressive with your creativity, like, wow, that really looks difficult to create that thing, or wow, how original. I feel like a, the difficulty level of the technique of your creativity or the originality, like, wow, I've never seen that before. These are the things that culture says are the gifts of creativity, and I think it couldn't be further from the truth. I don't think they're high up on the totem pole at all when it comes to the magic of creativity. I think the magic of creativity is, wow, you just reminded me of the meaning of life. Wow, I'm bawling my eyes out because of how you gave your gift of creativity. Wow, I'm dying of laughter. Wow, I'm glad to be alive. Wow, I can connect with what it means to be a human. Like I feel like, you know, we're all trapped inside our little human cages of our brains and creativity can be a bridge that says, you know, human experience is, is like this and feel, communicate, not just talk, but transfer thoughts and feelings from one brain to another. These are the gifts of creativity and they're magical. And so I just want to point out that I think the go-to for creativity, especially in American culture, I think we, I don't, and I'm not sure what it is. I don't, it's like a capitalist thing maybe or a, you know, a, a, a commerce thing of like impressive, difficult to do, original. Those are things that seem to be easily quantified and measurable, although I think they're not really but I think that because of the culture we're in, those are the things that we think are valuable about creativity, but I don't think that's the real gift. And so for me personally, when I go give a talk, do you know what I'm trying to do? I'm trying to make you in the audience feel like I felt 
the second time I watched Moana. <laughs> if you're a long-time listener of the show, you know that for some indescribable reason, I'm obsessed with the movie, <laughs> movie Moana. I actually, I'm, you know, I'm obsessed with Harry Potter, The Matrix. It's the hero's journey, really. But I, when I was in Moana watching that movie the second time, because the first time uh, my daughter was antsy and I had to leave the theater before the end and her cousin was puking everywhere. It was a disaster. But the second time I watched Moana, I was just all through it. There's so much good psychology and feeling and, you know, uh, anyway, I'm not going to tell you all about Moana, but that's what I'm thinking. When, when someone comes up to me after I do a talk, and I can tell they've just like felt, they've cried, they've laughed, and they're, they're inspired about, you know, working through hard things to see great things happen on, in the universe. And I can see it in their face and they're just like, ah, oh, you just took me on that journey. I'm just like, yeah, yeah, that's my thing. I love to give what I like to receive. So what's your motivation? when you're making your creative work. Number two is linked to number one, and it's about another clue to what your gift is is your sensitivity, your taste. And I think that on this podcast and in culture, we talk a lot about talent. We talk a lot about tolerance. And we don't talk very much about taste when it comes to your purpose and what you're here to do. And I've talked a little bit about on this, about this on the podcast before, but I have some fresh material that's been tickling my taste buds lately. Uh, and when I say, so we, you know, when we talk about our creative gifts, our creative superpowers, we think talent. Like that's the first thing you go to is like, what am I better at than other people? But the truth is like, you might not be like, your talent might not even be turned on yet. It's like the things that I think I'm best at, I didn't even know I could do six years ago. And so if you ask me, what are your talents? It really wouldn't have done that much for me. And your tolerance is another thing that I think is worth thinking about is just meaning, what do you have a high tolerance for? What can you just spend gobs and gobs and gobs of time on just because you enjoy doing it? Those are two, two obvious things to think about when it comes to what your creative superpower is. But one that I don't think we talk about enough is your sensitivity or your taste. And this is what I mean by that. Uh, I just was listening to the On Being podcast, a new interview with Seth Godin. And he goes into this being the number one determiner. Determiner, that's not a word. The number one factor for what you're supposed to be doing on this planet. He talks about taste. What do you have a sensitivity for? What, what's something where you know what's good and you know what's bad? That's the determiner. The determiner! Second time I used a word that doesn't exist. 
that's the thing that determines whether you're going to be good at something is just knowing what's good, knowing what's bad. Gordon Ramsay, celebrity chef says the same thing. What makes a good, what's the raw material of a good chef? Taste. They have to know what what's good food, what's bad food. You have to have the palate and you can actually develop the palate. Seth Godin in that interview says the best way to develop your taste, which is the, the, the determiner, is it a word <laughs> for, uh, <laughs> golly, for the, the best way to develop your art, to develop your gift is to develop your taste and to do it by iteration, by doing it through testing trials. And he says, don't make something for a million people and think, is this my gift? No, don't do that. Take a guess at, at writing. Say you're writing a story and you're saying, I think this is good writing. And then test it by giving it to 10 of your friends. This is his idea. If none of your 10 friends tell anybody about it, they don't tell any of their friends about the writing, you failed. <laughs> you didn't know what was good. And so you can do it again. Say, okay, I was wrong. Let me try it again. Is this good writing? That's creativity. Ira Glass would say the same. He says in, in his famous little clip about the gap between taste and talent is great artists all start the same way. They have great taste. And so I, in the same way that I want to recreate Moana when I'm on stage, that starts in, I have a deep sensitivity for journey. I have a deep sensitivity for hope. The hope that, that, that pushes you through adversity, that makes you clench your teeth and be like, I'm going through this thing because it's going to be worth it, because it matters, because, because that's what I'm here on earth to do. And that when you fight for something, you can win battles and it matters. Like I have a deep sensitivity for those kinds of triumphant stories. And because I have a sensitivity that kind of, I can work within that palette. And so. Maybe you've thought about what do I have a talent for? Maybe you've thought about what do I have a tolerance for? But have you asked yourself, what do I have a taste for? What do I have a sensitivity to? If you have a sensitivity, if you have a taste for it, you can turn it into a talent. So what, what's the kind of, you know, when you're asking yourself about what's your motivation, what are you trying to do unto others? Instead of starting with your talent, start with, what do I have a taste for? I'm going to tell you what the third one is in a second, but did you ever watch the movie Mystery Men? It's a, I think it was 90s movie. It had uh, Ben Stiller, Pee Wee Herman, Dane Cook actually makes a surprise little cameo. This is before the weird rise and fall of Dane Cook. He played this wannabe superhero called the Waffler. Kel from Keenan and Kel was in it. Amazing cast. Movie was had some good moments but in that movie Ben Stiller plays Mr. Furious and he his power is he gets so angry that he gets this rage fueled power 
and the whole movie, you get a sense that Ben Stiller either doesn't really have a superpower and he's pretending that he has this super furious power or he doesn't really know what his power is if he does have a power. And I think that it's not until he embraces humility that he starts to find out how he's truly unique and truly equipped to lead the team. And so I don't want you to be a Mr. or Mrs. Furious, but I feel like in the creative world, there's lots of those folks. I was one of those folks for the first couple of years of my career, creative career for sure. And I think it's this thing that says, in order to play in the creative waters, we have to know and have a creative gift. We think before we get into the pool, we've already got to have a sense or an ownership of a creative gift. And if you don't really know what it is or you don't really have it and you haven't really discovered it, you just create the fake ID version. It's like, this is my gift. I'm allowed to get into the party. When actually the gift is a swag bag that you get for getting in the pool, for getting into the party. I'm mixing lots of metaphors, but I hope you can follow. So it's this idea that if you go into the creative waters pretending like you already know your creative superpower, you're going to be the Mr. Furious, always with the imposter syndrome, always pretending like, uh, always posturing. You know, you, when you find yourself BSing about the value of your creativity, you know you're a Mr. Furious. When you, when you, when you start pontificating of the finer points of the creative work that you do, instead of talking about what does it do to people, and it's not, what it does to people should be obvious. They shouldn't have to think about what your creativity does to you. It should just, it should just happen. And so the third thing I think you've got to embrace is a humility. And I think this humility needs to be something that lasts throughout your whole creative career. If you can stay humble about you know, even if you, even though I feel like I've gone through the season of finding my gifts and I think I'm in a season of really developing and refining them, I still feel like I'm seeing in a cloudy way what those things are. Like I still feel like I don't have a 100% grasp on them and I'm still surprised and learning all the time new facets, you know, new ways of thinking about it, a clear picture of what I do. There's this quote from Epicurus, like an ancient philosopher that says, you can't learn what you think you already know. I think this is an extremely profound statement and, and, and sometimes I think I must not be articulating it well because this thing is a freaking game changer. And when I was at the Made in the Middle conference, I heard Dana Tanamachi speak and she was wonderful. She was the final speaker and she talked about it like this, teachability. She told this story where she grew up going to swimming lessons when she was really little and she was doing the diving exercises that the teacher asked her to do where they're diving into the pool and her mom, after one of the classes, was, was like, Dana, I think you should do, see if the teacher will give you some one-on-one -on -one attention about your diving methods, because I think you know, they might need some work. And Dana at the time was like, how dare you? My dives are amazing. This is when she's like six years old. 
And then her mom was like, okay, yeah, that's fine. You know, smart enough not to push her. Then the next class took a picture of Dana diving into the pool and and showed Dana this picture. And it was like just jumping off into the pool, like arms flailing, where all the other kids were like doing this really great pointed dive into the water. And she was so embarrassed and like, oh my gosh. And I think she says that she learned there to be teachable. And like Epicurus, you can't learn what you think you already know. She couldn't learn how to dive until she admitted that she didn't know how to dive. And so the same goes for your creative gift. If you walk around trying to convince others of a gift that you don't really know that you have, you will never, ever really find it. And I think it even impacts, this humility impacts your ability to develop your taste. If you're just like, Metallica's the number one band forever. <laughs> Who is that guy? Uh, and and you never you know and you're so sure about it you just know you're never gonna develop your taste and realize Metallica sucks. Sorry, Metallica fans. You know I'm <laughs> no judgment. I like to be a show for all walks of creative life. If you love Metallica and you think they're the number one band, you're wrong. But that's fine. That's totally fine. But maybe don't don't say they're the number one band of all time past, present, future. Be open to learning. You know what? I used to think Maroon 5 was cool. That's me admitting. I didn't plan to admit that on the podcast today. But when I was in high school, I was in a weird transition in my life. I was going from listening to Boys to Men and 112, working my way to things like The Shins and Modest Mouse, and I took a pit stop in Maroon 5. I've never told anybody that. I'm telling you that just to humble myself before you so that you too will embrace creative humility. Two more quickies, quick ones. Number four, determine your season. Now listen, I did an episode years ago on your creative season. I'm gonna tell you where that came from. I didn't invent it. I didn't invent the idea that life has seasons. I grew up in the vaguely religious Midwest situation, going to church. They talk about the season of life all the time. It's one of the things you get one of the good things about growing up in church is, is stuff like that. Another good thing is a lot of Midwest churches will teach you all kinds of things about business, which is to, to do what you want with that. Uh, but uh, one of the things I learned from being in that environment is seasons of life, spiritual seasons of life, creative seasons of life. And after I did that episode, I actually had people point out to me uh, that Austin Cleon and Todd Henry also talk about the creative seasons of life. So it's not something I invented, which just makes it that much more true. It's just an apparent truth that you are not always planting seeds. You're not always harvesting. You're not always, you know, preparing for winter. Like there's these different seasons in your creative life. And when you don't understand that, you can get, you can fall into the trap of trying to do everything all at once. And especially when you're comparing yourself to people in different seasons. Some people are in the springtime of their creativity while you're in the winter. And that can get you confused. But I want to talk to you about the seasons of finding your gift. 
and developing your creative superpower. And it came from, you know, I feel like I'm eating a lot of humble pie on this episode. For your pleasure, I'll sit here and make a damn fool of myself. Here's something that happened to me. You guys know, if you're podcast listeners, and I, and if you don't know, I want to make sure you know how I'm dumb. For years, I've been quoting Picasso, and I'm using the word Picasso in air quotes to talk about the quote that I'm talking about. <laughs> uh, <coughs> and I kept saying that Picasso says, the meaning of life is to find your gift. The purpose of life is to give it away. Then I had a really kind, a very kind person, Andy. They were kind to you to point out, uh, that's not Picasso, Andy. And actually, it was really kind, and I really appreciate it, and it led to a new breakthrough. So thank you for pointing it out. That Picasso obviously didn't say that. You know, all these quotes we throw around, Albert Einstein, Mark Twain, Abraham Lincoln, Picasso, those four people couldn't possibly said all of the great things in the world. But whenever you hear something clever, you're like, yeah, Picasso said that. I don't know why it happens. But the truth is, looks like Picasso probably never said that, Andy, you dork. Why didn't you do a little bit more research? But here's who did say it. David Viscott, he was a psychologist and I guess radio personality. Uh, doesn't sound as convincing or, or, <laughs> or impressive as Picasso saying it. But when I was pointed to the true author of this quote, I had a breakthrough about finding your gift. So this is what David Viscott really said. The purpose of life is to discover your gift. The work of life is to develop it. And the meaning of life is to give your gift away. And my brain went, because that's it exploding. My mind was blown. Here's why. A few years ago, I did a talk for Creative Mornings where I talked about mining, refining, and shining your gift, your gems, your, the secret magic inside of you. That there's three seasons to it, mining, refining, and shining. And we're seeing this new version, the, the, the version that I've just found of this quote actually speaks to all three seasons. The purpose of life is to discover it, that's mining. The work of life is to develop it, that's refining. The meaning of life is to give it away, that's shining. There's three seasons to, to living your full potential, your full creative superpowers. The first season is just mining it, figuring it out, looking inside, testing it, being on the search. I think this is the hardest season, but I think it lasts for a good five to 10 years of your life. And if you're in the season, first of all, I just want to encourage you. I know how hard it is to dig for gold when you're not sure that it's there. And first of all, I just want to speak to past Andy and maybe it'll help you too. Hey, past Andy, who's 22, who's pretending like you already found your gift, cut the crap, get humble, and then don't be afraid to dig. You are going to find some gold in your DNA, in your life experience. There's a, there, you have rare gems inside of you just by the fact that you have a unique set of DNA which means you're a rarity, which means you're valuable. You just got to figure out what, how and, and how to use it.
And so if you're in the mining phase, you're doing the dot to dot, you're getting all of each clue, all the things we're talking about this episode should give you another dot on your dot to dot of your creative superpower. And you, it's your job to collect these dots and sit back and kind of start connecting them and seeing the bigger picture of what it is that you do. And when I say creative superpower, one thing I just want to mention, I don't mean, is it painting? I don't mean, is it drawing? I don't mean, is it making music? I mean, the deeper motivation. That's when we talked about the first uh, point on this episode. That's what I meant by that. It's like, it's not about the medium. It's about the motivation. It's about what are you giving? It's about the gift that you're that you're transferring and the medium can be determined by what that motivation is. Like, I actually think that my gift, uh, you know, talks, my talks and my podcast, they're good at giving a certain portion of my gift away, a certain type of my gift away. That's one medium that works for that. My drawings are better at highlighting a different aspect of my gift. But the gift is not the medium. The gift is not the style. The gift is what's underneath. And so you might be in the mining phase. If you're not really sure, if you couldn't, if I asked you, I said, what is your gift? What are you good at? And you don't have an answer. If you, don't, if you can't tell me what you're great at, you don't know your gift yet. And you need to keep mining and you don't do it by sitting back and pontificating or sitting back and taking just career aptitude tests. These are good things. Talking about it, taking tests, analysis, all good. But the proof is in the pudding, Jeffrey. <laughs> and it comes from working it out in the work. Have a hypothesis, just like Seth Godin says. You say, I have a taste for this thing. I have a sensitivity for this thing. I think I know what good writing is. Take a stab at it. That's how you know whether it's your gift or whether you've hit the nail on the head. Put it into the work. Put it out. Give it to 10 friends and see, does it tickle those taste buds? Tickling taste buds. <laughs> okay. So if you don't know, if you don't have any sense of what are you phenomenal at, superhuman at, then you're still in the mining phase. If you have some ideas of like, you know, when I do this thing, people seem to come alive. When I do this thing, it, you know, I'm, I'm ahead of the competition. Then you're in the refining testing, testing phase. You've identified what you're good at and now you're just trying to execute it and fine tune it and try different versions of it and explore all the different angles of it. You've got all the dot to dots. Now you're standing back from the dot to dots and you're kind of seeing where they're at. I feel like I'm in the refining stage to be honest with you. I feel like I'm in the second season, you know, when I'm doing my talks, I'm still figuring it out. I feel like I know a lot of the basic ingredients, but I'm still experimenting with what the perfect balance of those are and developing it. Number three is shining and that's just executing baby. You just, you know what you're good at, you know how to do it and you're in the zone of hitting it out of the park as many times as you can based on what you know. And I think people like Michael Beirut, the person I just interviewed, I think they're in that phase. And I love, you know, one other thing, just as an aside, because Michael Beirut is so accomplished and, and further in his career than me, one of the things I think about all the time is like, you know, 
Paul McCartney just put out an album. And uh, it might not be your cup of tea, but it seems like it's doing some cool things and good things. And I am so desperate to be at my best work at the end of my life, still crushing it, still, still, you know, shining my gifts to their full potential. And I think embracing the, the, the seasons of your gifting, these three seasons of discovering your gift, developing it and giving it away. When you embrace all of these things, I think it's one of the secrets to a long lasting, thriving creative career. Last one I'm gonna share with you, just a quick one, core memories. In the book, Finding Your Why, uh, it's by Simon Sinek and a few other people. He did a book called Start With Why. And then they did a follow-up that was like how to find your why. And one of the things that they recommend is looking into your past for core memories. And this is something that I didn't learn from them, but uh, was articulated by them. It's something was the, the start. If you're really in the dark and you really don't feel like you know anything that you've got that really has special sauce and stank to it, you need to start with your core memories. And I would suggest going as far back as your childhood. I always talk about the child, the six-year-old tattoo test. And that's this idea that, and I never get tired of thinking about this. You know, I revisit this idea all the time. And it's this idea that a tattoo, you should get a tattoo that your six-year-old self would be super into. You know, maybe they don't know what it is or whatever, but if they saw it, they'd be like, ooh, yeah, that looks good. If your six-year-old self likes it, your 90-year-old self will like it. Speaking to something about the core of your being, that's the kind of tattoo you want. And that's what your gift is gonna have those qualities because it's, your, it's on the DNA level. And so for me, the early clues, when I was really stuck, when I got out of college, I was kind of floundering, didn't really, you know, I felt like I was doing the fake ID thing. I was saying, oh, I got my gift, got my style all worked out, but it was a veneer. It was a facade. And, and when I kind of crashed and burned and it wasn't working, I was forced to admit, I don't know what my gift is. And I started looking into my childhood and I started noticing, you know, all of the characters, all the things that moved me when I was a kid were like the characters that were hiding or hiding their face. You know, that that ghost guy on He-Man who's just like floating eyes in like blackness under a hat. Like all the characters I liked kind of looked like that. And there's, you know, characters hiding in Dr. Seuss books and there's just this hidden mystery element. And at the time I didn't know at all what that meant. So I just started drawing. I started working it out in the work. I started drawing characters with, uh, who are hiding behind umbrellas with eyes on the outside of the umbrella. I, characters with hats that were covering their face, but their eyes were on the outside of their hat. And you can see this in my work even now. I, this is something I do all the time. And the reason I love it as a visual motif is it gives you the feeling that there's more going on. There's stuff you can't see. And that's one of the gifts that I love to give about life. It's the invisible things. It's that, man, there's something hidden. And I love when something in life happens where like, Something, you know, when you hit one of those synchronicity coincidences, coincidences, it feels right. It's not a good word. It's not a real word, but it felt right. Coincidences. When you get one of those, you're like, wait a second. 
baby, there's some invisible stuff going on here. I love that feeling. And that's how I put it into my work. But when I started to collect the dots, I didn't know that that was what's going on. I just knew that I like it when they hide their face in these characters. So if you need, if you're stuck, this is a really good uh, place to start is just go back and look at the times before you knew what was cool, before you developed a persona, before you tried to be somebody that you thought other people wanted you to be, when you were just being you, what were the things that were tickling those taste buds? And a lot of tickling of taste buds and start collecting those dots. So there's some more tools for finding the dots, developing and shining the dots of your creative superpower. But I want to leave you with one little thought. And it's, a, it's this, that the mutation does not make the superhero. So I think when it comes to superheroes, we're always thinking about superpowers. We're always thinking about, you know, in X-Men, they're all mutants. And, you know, how they're mutated is their gift, their superpower. What's different about you? It's not just about your mutation. It's not, you know, your, your creative superpower, it's not just about how you're different. That's not gonna make you a creative superhero. It's also about your motivation. You know, the difference between uh, Batman and the bad guys that he fights it's not the mutation. It's not how he's different. It's his motivation. The motivation behind your creative work determines whether you're going to be a creative superhero or a creative supervillain. And so I have a sense that, especially in 2018, that we are sick and tired of creatives that are in it for themselves. I think there's this you know, when you're motivated for self-glorification, when you're just out there to get as many followers at any cost, I think we can sense that. I can, we, we can feel that you're not in it to give a, a generous offering of a gift. You're not interested in that. You're interested in what can you take. And I think there's so much ego in creative work and and i'm talking to myself it's not just a judgment upon the world it's a it's a judgment upon myself and i can see it especially early days like wanting my mutation to <laughs> to be something to be celebrated by others and and thinking that that's what my gift was all about it was throwing me off the scent when i thought it was about all about me and I feel like when I found my motivation for others, when I found how to use, when I started asking myself, what do I have? What mutation do I have that benefits others, that I can do unto others as I do unto, that I like done to me? That's when the superpower started to really shine. And even if, you know, you might say, what about artists that just want to express themselves? And, you know, we love artists that really have an ability to express 
their inner inner world, inner life, and really articulate what it means for them to be alive. Well, I would argue even then, it's a generous gift of vulnerability. It's a generous gift of connection. There's a generous gift of often the reason we like when artists express themselves in an articulate fashion is because it helps us articulate ourselves. And so no matter where you come from on the creative spectrum, I would encourage you to connect with your creativity as a service to humanity, that that's what you're doing on this planet. How does your particular gifting bless this universe that you find yourself in? And I think that uh, if you have that outlook, you'll be on a uh, a more clear path on how to get there. I think that's how you find the path. But I also think people will be a lot more receptive to what you're doing, and they don't feel like every Instagram your every Instagram post you're doing is is to see how much glory you can gain for yourself, and instead uh, it be a a a gifting from your heart to theirs. speak to past Andy again because sometimes on this podcast I feel like you know I'm kind of giving advice or tips or, or or whatever and it can be a little presumptuous to say let me tell you what I've learned about being a creative person and I don't always mean it like that I almost always mean it like here's a reminder or here's something I wish someone would have told me 10 years ago and this is that case Andy, 10 years ago, you have a temptation to make creative work, to be appreciated, to find love, to find affection, to have glory, to be impressive. And the sad thing about that is what you really want is connection. And whenever you succeed in doing something impressive and doing something that warrants glory, tricking people into handing you worship and celebration, you're actually separating yourself from other people. When you get people to... uh, glorify you because of your great work, which, by the way, happened very rarely. <laughs> but if it ever happened where you can somehow trick someone into, to, you know, I, the, all these words make me uncomfortable, but I can't think of better ones. Worship you for your gift. You're actually in the process separating yourself, in the, in the process destroying your ability to get what you really need because when you do that you separate yourself and what you're really looking for is connection the opposite of separation and so maybe you're like me a broken weirdo creative person a lot of creative people I think maybe get into the game looking for connection mistake it for 
celebration, worship, glory. And they pursue this path of, you know, being lifted up by the crowd when really what they want is to be part of it. So maybe that's you today. Maybe you've somewhere you've lost your way. Have you found yourself desperate for the most followers, the most likes, whatever? I just want to encourage you. It's not really about that, Andy. It's, it's about using your gift for, to, to better other people's lives in the same way that you love when creative people do that to you. This has been a magical moment with Andy J. Pizza. <laughs> I always bear my heart on this podcast. Like a, it, It's cool though. It's just me and you, me and your headphones. Some alone time, one-on-one. Nobody has to know you're listening to a creative weirdo get extremely <laughs> serious and vulnerable. Yikes. Uh, you know, this is just something we like to do together. That's fine. Thank you guys for listening. Thanks to Yoni Wolf and the band Y for our theme music. Thanks to Alex Sugg for producing this podcast, editing this podcast, providing the soundtrack for this podcast, and elevating it to new podcast heights. Thanks, Alex. Go listen to the Creative Pep Talk soundtrack on Spotify or Apple Music. It's good work music. Thanks to everybody for listening. And until we speak again, stay pepped up. Bye.